When it's time to expand your team, look no further than Indeed. Indeed knows it's a cautious time for businesses across America. Uncertainty, so many decisions, financial commitments. So now your next hire is more crucial than ever. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, you heard me right, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering SPQ listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash SPQ. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash SPQ. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th, 2020. This is Amazing Media Production. Quit Playing Small is the new book by your host, yes, me, Ayana Angel, and it is a daily inspiration book that you can utilize in your morning routine. If you've started a morning routine, add it to your collection of books that you normally tap into. And if you have yet to start a morning routine, this is the perfect book to help you get started. Quit Playing Small is available at Amazon.com. Just search Quit Playing Small or click on the link in the show notes. Hey girl, hey, and thanks for dropping into the Switch Pivot Quit podcast. Candid convo for the girl needing a lifestyle plot twist when she's deciding if it's time to switch, pivot, or quit. I'm Ayana Angel and I am your host as well as chief encourager and author. In order for you to hang out with us in this awesome space, all that's required for you to do is sit back, open your mind, and enjoy the show. During the Switch, Pivot, or Quit chat, we talk to women that have successfully navigated through some of the plot twist years of life and are eager to share their stories and what they've learned in the hopes of inspiring, teaching, or making even the slightest impact by candidly owning their truth. On today's show, we're chatting with Brittany Oliver. Brittany is a career and lifestyle freelance writer, content strategist, and founder of Lemons to Lemonade, who's based in Greater Nashville. Over the past three years, Brittany has built her platform, Lemons to Lemonade, to help millennials turn life's obstacles around. Her platform is known for its networking mixers, which has brought over 700 young professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives together to turn life's lemons into lemonade in New York City, Nashville, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Atlanta. Her mixers have been supported by BuzzFeed, Verizon, Bumble, Dove, CoverGirl, Jack Daniels, and Ciroc, just to name a few. While building Lemons to Lemonade, Brittany worked as a senior digital marketing and email marketing manager, as well as contributing as a writer to Fast Company and Essence. She has spoken on a variety of panels, sharing her story of going on 100 interviews in an eight-month period. Brittany also gives workshop-style presentations on how to build your brand and expertise. She keynoted LinkedIn's first Women of Color conference in San Francisco in 2019, and Forbes recently listed her as one of nine Black women leaders dedicated to empowering others. Brittany has a BA in public relations from Howard University. After living in NYC for seven years, Brittany recently returned to her hometown of Clarksville, Tennessee, to grow lemons to lemonade in the southeast 
Get ready for this juicy conversation. Juicy. Get it? Lemons, lemonade. All right, let's just get, jump into it. <laughs> Brittany, welcome to the show. Hey, girl. I'm so excited. Thank you for, it's like an honor. Aww. You interview some really amazing women, and I'm just honored that you reached out. I can't wait to just dive in. Yes, likewise. And I I, I feel like we've been connected since um, Candia connected us. And, right. And I've been watching your moves and watching how you've been, I guess you could say, playing this game and strategically doing it and killing it. And I was like, when you when you posted this last post that I saw, I was like, oh, yeah, we got to chat. We got to chat. So I'm excited to dive in. <laughs> We're definitely going to get into that stuff. But first, tell us how you started making money in your very first job. What was your very first job that you were doing? It could have been when you were a teenager, whatever. Okay, so it's so funny. Um, My very first job was in retail. Mm. People in high school, they, uh, well, my uh, middle school teacher, his name is Mr. Dallin. He he coined me Miss Vogue early on. (laughs) And I was always best dressed growing up. And so (laughs) I always kind of, you know, I had a knack for style and fashion. And I knew that if I had my first job, I wanted to work at the mall and retail. I didn't want to, you know, do fast food. Yeah. You wanted to get that discount, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And it was during the time, you know, baby fat, echo, all of that was in. And so that was like the fashionable, you know, the trend. Right. And they had this clothing store called Demo, owned by PacSun, mm-hmm. and they had just opened. And I applied, and my very first day was literally Black Friday. Oh no! So talk about being thrown to the sharks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and oh. I feel like my whole career has kind of been like that moving forward. <laughs> like people, I really just have to just dive in and figure it out. Um, Yeah, that was the setup, right? That was the setup. And I came in, I worked, and, you know, they kept me on after the seasonal. And Mm -hmm. I was there until I graduated. It was really interesting because when I graduated, my manager, she was just so excited for me, my store manager, Mm -hmm. about my next chapter. I was going to Howard. I just had all these things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they were opening up some other stores and the district manager came in. He was like, I really like her. Mm-hmm. Let's give her her own store. <sighs> and before he, she even told, she told me later, but she was like, nope, she can't do it. She's going to college. And she was like, oh. I, I didn't want you to do that. You just yeah. have something so much bigger than this place, this mall, you know, mm-hmm. than retail. Mm-hmm. And I did not want him to to block that for you. And I said, well, to be honest, I don't know if I would have took it anyway, because yeah. Yeah. I didn't know there was something bigger for me out there. Wow. I love that story. So she, she pretty much was like, I don't even want you to consider this as an option because I know that there's more for you. That's like mentor 101 right there. And you probably didn't exactly. even really know she was your mentor like that. No, she was. She um, was? Okay. Yeah. She's just been a great support, even to this day. 
you know, wow. she checks in with me. Yeah. All those years. And she's watched, she's watched me grow. Yeah. She cheered me on when I graduated, you know, and. Mm. That's quality and relationships. With, yeah. And even with what I'm doing now with Lemons to Lemonade, she's just like, I'm. every time I see her, she's like, I'm just so proud. Yay. <laughs> okay. So let's dive into that. You have Lemons to Lemonade, but walk us through a little bit of your switch, pivot, or quit journey. And how did we get to the point where we are right now? Yes. So I'm going to take you back to my senior year of college. Okay. And I went to Howard University. Mm-hmm. And that senior year, um, it was really challenging because I had all these internships under my belt. And I had a lot of friends who were in the business um, school. And so many of them had their jobs already confirmed by the time second semester started. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, people in the communication school, you know, we didn't have our jobs lined up. A lot of those places they hire as needed, right? And so right. a lot of us were just nervous. We were like, are we going to get our job offer when, before we walk across that stage? And so I spent like all of those um, spring break the three-day weekends, I'd hop on a bolt bus and head to New York, and I would have informational meetings. The end of the year, around May, our school through, or rather April, April is a better uh, month, but <laughs> they had a PR conference or a PR fair for the PR students. And so these are all the members in my class. All of us have six, seven internships under our belt. And why did only one person leave with a full-time offer? Ooh. Yeah, only one person. Everyone else, it was like, oh, well, we have another internship that you can take. And we just mm-hmm. all sat there. I just, I'll never forget it because I remember how defeated a lot of my peers looked. You know, we were like, we've done the work. Mm-hmm. We've worked really hard and no one wants to hire us. And that was the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. So I eventually was able to get another internship that brought me to New York city of my dreams. (laughs) And yeah. And I was so excited. I was working in sports and consumer PR Mm -hmm. and it was just really great. But when the internship ended, they didn't have a full-time role, Oh gosh! but I was okay because I had at least three, um, interviews, job interviews lined up. And I knew I was going to get one of those. Okay. A lot of my peers were starting to get jobs and I was like, okay, it's my time. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But little did I know that I would end up embarking on an eight month period of a job search where I went on over 100 interviews to try to get a PR job. Mm. Now, when you say 100 interviews, Was that intentional or did you just sit back one day and realize I've been on a hundred interviews? Yeah, I just sat back one day because it just kept happening. Mm -hmm. I could get, there were months where I would have two interviews a week, um, three, and -hmm. every week I had an interview Mm -hmm. and it was like, my resume is legit. People are calling me, they're inviting me in. Even some of my past internships, they finally had a role open and they would invite me in. And then somehow I didn't get the job. Hmm. And I just didn't know what was going on. I started doing mock interviews and everyone said, you did really well. 
you know, and then some people would ask, well, how did you dress? And and what did your hair look like? And I'm like, it looks great. Like, yeah. <laughs> Don't insult me. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing people would ask, I would try to like meet with different um, black women, mm-hmm. particularly black men, anybody to just kind of see what's happening. Why am I having a hard time? Mm-hmm. And it, Sometimes it came off as desperation when I was talking to these people and a lot of them were like, maybe it's your energy or maybe it's your demeanor. You know, you don't come off as friendly or whatever. Mm. And I'm like, but you don't understand how many people have rejected me at this point. I have lost confidence. (laughs) You know, at that point. That's a lot of people rejecting you, telling yeah. you no. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of times that I felt like I wasn't good enough. Mm. And I hit rock bottom in terms of my spirit, my energy. Mm. It was just like I had job search fatigue. Mm. It was hard. Mm. It was like a cycle. I would get up in the morning, look at my emails to see if I had an interview scheduled. I did my correspondence and then I would spend the rest of the day on Indeed, LinkedIn, whatever, trying to apply to more things and then trying to find the right contact to send out an introduction email. Because, of course, you know, these um, job boards are like a black hole. So you always have to make sure you find like a hiring manager to connect with. And so that's what I was doing. That's why I was able to get the interviews. In the end, did you, and not in the end, like here's some agent <laughs> telling your story, but like after you realize I've done these 100 interviews, did you find yourself able to make any kind of correlation about maybe something that was happening within these interviews or the industry and maybe the timing? Was there anything that you were able to come up with? Like, I'm treating this like a science experiment. Like, so what was the result? What were your findings? (laughs) Well, it was a couple of things. Um, And it was was issues that I just didn't want to believe or to, I guess, surrender to. Uh-huh. I never wanted to think that it was my skin color. Ooh, I knew you were going to say that. And I also, uh-huh. you know, my dad would send me articles. Well, you know, people are still having a hard time finding the jobs. It's the job market and this and that. And I'm just like, dad, but I'm me. Mm. And other people may be having problems, but I shouldn't. Like, I never wanted to box myself into the, the you know, the statistics. Mm. okay other people are but I shouldn't be because I put in the work Mm -hmm. sometimes I always felt like work trumps all of those things yeah but in our society yeah reality trumps and reality is people have bias so you see you were in DC and I went through a program called the T Howard Foundation are you familiar with that yes I am oh I knew you would be I knew you did you do any (laughs) internships through them no, no. All of my internships, I did. I just did my cold emailing mm. um, and then I was able to land them because I was really particular. Mm-hmm. I really before I graduated, I really wanted to do entertainment PR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had a internship in New York with Susan Blonde Inc. And so mm-hmm. I worked under the VP and I worked with like Akon and Sean Paul. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was okay, but I realized it really wasn't my cup of tea. Okay. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure out, well, what else can I do? And so consumer PR seemed to be a nice, um, blend of events. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can work with celebrities, right? But um, you also have the consumer products and you can create really fun activations and really have a creative um, outlet to just create really cool campaigns and really get people interested in what you're doing, especially because uh, social media was on the rise and a lot of brands were investing money into that. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many Twitter campaigns you can do, just all kinds of things. And I thought consumer PR would have been a better fit. So that's what I was working towards. Okay. And the reason that I did ask about the T. Howard Foundation is because I interned through them and I was based in LA and I was one, I was the only West Coast intern at the time. And they were heavily really? East Coast. Yeah, heavily East Coast. And mm-hmm. they, they're the ones that enabled me to have an internship at places like Showtime Networks because that they had a, a very good um, network within the entertainment community. But a part of their mission was to get more minorities in the communications field. And so that when you say the color of your skin was a factor, that's what rung true in my mind about the industry as a whole and why a foundation like the T. Howard Foundation even exists. So Mm. you, you start to think about, you know, okay, maybe it has to do with the color of my skin. Number one question is, were there any facts that let you know that? And then what else started to come up for you in terms of reasons of why maybe things were just not panning out? So I didn't really have facts, but there were situations that kind of made me wonder. Okay, that's all. That's facts. Look, that's facts um, in my book. (laughs) So, So one thing was that I was getting all this. Well, also nepotism, too. Oh, yeah. So with nepotism, when I would ask for feedback, some of them would give me feedback Mm -hmm. and they would say, oh, you did really well. I wouldn't change a thing. We really, really liked you. But it's like, okay, so then why? Right. Mm -hmm. So some of them would say, oh, some of them were actually honest and said we had to hire um, the CEO's neighbor's daughter or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would also go on LinkedIn. And <laughs> I would look to see who did get the job. Oh. It, yeah, I used to do that. And, and it, I don't recommend that because it yeah. used to <laughs> That's kind of brutal <laughs> on yourself. Yeah. yeah, it was. And so I could see, you know, no one that was hired looked like me. Mm. And I would look to see if there was like a relationship. And sometimes that person was in a sorority or fraternity of one of the account executives, mm. you know. They would have backgrounds that had nothing to do with PR, but they were able to get that job. And so, one, I would see it with LinkedIn. And then, two, there was a time I went on an interview. And so, my name, you can't tell who I am, what I am for my name, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, one time I went for an interview and I watched all these people kind of just come back and forth from the lobby and kind of look at me. And then they would go back to their desk. And some of those faces looked familiar because I looked to see who I was interviewing with. Mm -hmm. And then later, 
I was just waiting and waiting. And then the HR person came and said, oh, everyone's busy. Um, no one can meet with you today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I saw them and I saw them looking. I could see them peeping at me. And it's like, so were you looking to see, oh, she's black. I didn't mean yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. Um, tell her we're not interested. Dang. Or I have something to do. I don't want to interview her. Was this a larger company or a smaller yep. company? Whoa, that's <laughs> yeah. an even bigger blow. You know, I'm so glad that you shared that and we're talking about this because people need to hear this in that so many people out there live in their own little bubble. They think that you're making this kind of stuff up. We can't mm-hmm. make this kind of stuff up. I'm going to tell a quick story about my my brother, actually. Oh, Okay. Similar thing happened to him. Mm -hmm. So he applies for this job. He has a a graphic design, game art design degree. And he applied for this job at this kind of like a, I'm going to just call it like a country bumpkin kind of place. They make like (laughs) tractor trailers and that kind of, you know, like those big bobcat kind of things. Like they make that kind of stuff. Okay. He applied for this job. Man calls him. They have a conversation, you know, everything. He doesn't end up getting that job that he applied for. So then the man really liked him based off the conversation and he has another job that comes up. So he remembers my brother and he Mm -hmm. calls my brother. He's one of the owners in the company. He calls my brother and my brother comes in for an interview. He gets the job. But they tell him after they tell there is nothing but white people at this company. They tell him after, you know, we didn't even know that you were you were black when you came in. Yeah. Yeah. Because he has a name just like yours. His name is Thomas. His first name is Thomas. So Mm -hmm. he he has one of those like, I don't know, his name is not like Jaquan or something. So, yeah, they didn't know. And the fact I said, Thomas, the fact that they told you that after. Like, that's not cool. Like he said, and he, it, he was taking it back. He really didn't know how to respond and react to that because it, right. he knew that there was obviously truth in it, but it's like, whoa, for somebody to then admit that to you. And I told him, I said, it's because they're comfortable with you now, but that does not mean that their biases are gone. And right. that also makes me think that they think, oh, you're one of the good ones. Yep. You know, so I'm just sharing this, especially for people who are not of color. Let's just go say my white girl sisters out there who are listening. I want y'all to hear this kind of stuff because I want you to know that this is happening, whether you know it or not, because we're not talking about 10, 15 years ago. You know what I mean? We're talking about Mm -hmm. stuff that's happened within the last 10, 15 years. Yep. Yep. So please know what's happening. So af- after you had that experience, I'm sure that was extremely devastating. What what was the next phase for you after all these interviews? How did you start to rebound from this defeat that you felt? Yeah, so I just knew I was in New York for a reason. I was mm-hmm. so close yet so far away. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to tap into my family network. So my cousin's mom worked mm-hmm. at a hospital in New York and she was like, I see what you're going through. Just like, let me help you. Yeah. So she was able to get me a job at a hospital. Nice. But I was always clear that that wasn't my end all. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, maybe if I'm there, 
I can ease my way up to the public affairs office, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a start, right? And it's a way to make money and get my own apartment. So yeah, I'm, but the only thing about that job was that I had to work 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Mm. And so, and weekends and holidays. And oh. that means I'm missing all the networking events Yep, that will get me out of this position, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I, I did what I had to do because it was my dream. It was what I wanted. And so I did what I had to do. So that meant I took another internship and I worked during the day and then I'd get on the train and go all the way to Washington Heights to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then I would work all day. Mm. You know, I would only have one weekend a month off. So only two days out of the month off. I literally worked every day. Mm. I remember ColorCom was starting. There was ColorCom started in D.C., but they were starting a New York chapter. Mm-hmm. And I remember they had this big, like, launch event. And I was like, I have to go. I can't miss it. Mm-hmm. But I was working. I remember I had to find one of my colleagues to cover me. I s- saved up, like, $60. I spent $30 to go Midtown to take a, a cab. Mm. Spent only 15 minutes in the place. So I made sure I made that 15 minutes count. I circled that room so quick. <laughs> my um, my um, business cards. Mm-hmm. Then I had to get in a cab, spend another $30, and go back to Washington Heights to try to get back in time because I only had an hour lunch. But like that's how much it meant to me. I did what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And finally, two years later, I finally got a PR job, girl. And I was oh. so happy. Yay! <laughs> yes, there's a happy ending yes. to the story. At least this chapter, we love it. <laughs> so what was what was that job like? What was that? Let's let's go. What was that experience like when you finally got that yes after all these no? What was that experience like? Oh, girl, I cried. I mm. just, I just cried, and I got the yes during Christmas. So I always went home for Christmas. I would work Thanksgiving, but I would go home for Christmas. So I was at, um, at home, and I got the email. I was so excited. I just couldn't wait to put in my two weeks. You know, <laughs> um, and I actually did my two weeks while I was on vacation. Oh, wow. It was that serious. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, And so I started and I made goals for myself. I'm like, in six months, I'm going to have a really great press um, hit, Mm -hmm. which just means getting your client in a really great um, outlet. Mm -hmm. And so I was able, I succeeded or over succeeded some of my goals. Like I was able to Garner Press and um, USA Today, Mm. ABC News, Chicago Tribune. Mm. And I was just ecstatic. I was like, I still got it. You know, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But it was toxic. Mm. Was this an agency? No, it was like small in-house. Okay, okay. And it became toxic. There were things... There were things that happened during my time there. So, for example, my manager, the person who hired me, when the person that hires you leaves, it's hard. You now now don't have an advocate. Mm -hmm. You now have someone, you don't have someone there who understands 
why they hired you and what you bring to the table. Right. And so literally a week in, he was like, oh, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. I have a better job. Mm. Right. Um, I had a CEO who was still reeling from this divorce and just, she was a mess. And I remember being excited to work for, you know, a woman owned business, Mm. but I was always taught to just kind of leave your stuff at the door. Yeah. yeah. And immediately it was like every month, every day, she just come in just a crying mess. And literally we were supposed to just sit there and coddle. And I didn't like that. I was the one who didn't. And maybe that played a part into something that happened later. Mm-hmm. But I just, um, I don't like that. You know, you were supposed to be that example of what it looks like to be a boss woman. And I understand you have bad days, but for these junior staff members to have to sit here and be like, it's going to be okay. I just thought that was crazy. <laughs> That's too much. You know, she yeah. reminded me of like a Real Housewives of New York. Like she fit in that <laughs> And so it just became toxic. Uh, the summer months are always slow in PR. Mm-hmm. And she kept threatening, like, I, we're not making money and I'm going to have to lay someone off. Mm-hmm. And so August, I call it the worst, sum- worst summer month ever. Um, you know, my mom ended up having like a health scare. Mm-hmm. And within the same, the same day, one of my childhood friends was murdered. Oh, gosh. And I was tore up. I just, I couldn't get through. Mm -hmm. I was tore up, but I had to leave my mess at the door, right? Mm -hmm. But I was vulnerable to make mistakes because Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to go home and check up on people because I got paid. I was underpaid Mm -hmm. and they had promised that we would get a raise if we met, you know, our goals and I had over exceeded mine. So I didn't get my raise, you know, money was tight. Of course, my parents would fly me out, but they were like, no, it's fine. I'm like, it just bothered me. I needed to see her. Mm -hmm. So I probably should have went home. Um, But I was just a mess. And I made one mistake. And literally the day after Labor Day, I got laid off. Wow. Because of that mistake? Yep. (gasps) Wow. I gave her a reason. Yeah. And, um, but I was, I was really upset because I felt like I failed. I was like, this is what I wanted for so long. And then it ends abruptly like this, Mm -hmm. but it was so toxic. I used to be so scared about my job that whole summer. I was just terrified because she kept that looming over our heads. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, sometimes I'd get really sick right before I got on the train. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I was so stressed. Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was a relief to not have that stress. But I was concerned because here I am having to go through the job search again. Right. And I I thought I had a break from it. Mm. So how long were you at that company? Just nine months. Wow. So yeah, you... That wasn't enough time for you to get comfortable. And, and yeah. Not that you could, from the sounds of it, not that you could have gotten comfortable in that position anyway. Yeah. Um, what role did personal development play in this season? Or, or what role does it play in your life period? Well, actually, the season is, um, 
that's how it played in my life. So luckily during that time, especially when I was working at the hospital, I really made really great connections with people. Mm. I was looking for a mentor. I was just looking for people to just lean on. And so when I finally got that PR job, it was so nice to be able to write them and share my clips with them and share all the positive things. Like there was one young lady who worked at Essence. I met her at a album release party Mm -hmm. and we kept in touch to the point that I even invited her to my baptism. Oh, wow. And so when I got laid off from the PR job, we were supposed to have, um, dinner or drinks or whatever, but I kept pushing it back because I was ashamed that I was laid off, not realizing that other people go through it, but I was just embarrassed. I was like, I always have bad news. Like (laughs) I don't want to see her. And when I'm in a bad place, Mm -hmm. she asked, why do you keep pushing this back? And I told her, Mm -hmm. and I told her, and she said, girl, this happens to everyone. Let me call you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so guess what? She called me the next day and she offered me an opportunity to work as her assistant at Essence. <gasps> wow, you stop yes. it. No. That's a blessing. That happened. And so that's when I mean personal development. For me, building those relationships so that when things like that happen, it work out. Yeah. Where you can reach out to someone and they can find an opportunity for you. Yeah, especially if timing's right. And yeah. I used to hear about that all the time. And finally, that it worked out for me. Like this does happen. Mm-hmm. People, you can create roles. People can create opportunities for you if mm-hmm. you keep your relationships. Mm-hmm. And so um, now I'm, you know, at Black Girl Magic headquarters. You know, <laughs> I never imagined that I would be in the publishing industry writing, and I really was able to really redevelop my love for writing and storytelling. Mm. And that's when I started to kind of shift because for me, it was so good to be able to share other Black entrepreneurs' stories and to give them a platform. I know how much it helps Mm -hmm. their business. And it was just so great to just be around um, a space with other black women, you know, I did, I was able to let go of a lot of shame or embarrassment that I carried about my career journey, sure. just by being around them because they were just so unapologetic, you know? Right. right. Yeah. And so it inspired me to create my own content, to create my own website. Mm-hmm. And so she was just like, it doesn't pay much until you get on your feet. And so I, a couple of months later, I was able to get an email marketing job. Mm. And, you know, there were these times I, you know, that I've talked about where I've kind of have to shift, you know, PR was what I wanted to do, but there were skill sets that I learned that helped me shift into different career paths. You know, in PR, you learn how to write. So that's how I was able to be able to become a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In PR, a lot of times you're responsible for creating newsletters, um, building newsletter lists, using HTML. Mm -hmm. And so I took that skill set that I learned in my past internships and I was able to start applying for email marketing jobs Mm -hmm. because I I knew that PR 
if I was to try to attempt to continue on that path, I would have to start off in a junior level role. I'm getting older, bills are, I have an apartment, bills are starting to pile up. I need money and marketing was a way to catch up with my peers, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wanted to do. So that was a strategic move for you. Yeah, it was a strategic move because my peers, so my peers in PR who were able to start on time in their careers, at that point, they've gotten the promotions. Now they're account managers. They're making a lot more. When I started my first PR job, I'm, you know, a coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. An assistant. Mm-hmm. So they're making a lot more than I am. They have more responsibility. So if I continued to try to find a role at a, a traditional firm, I would still have to start from scratch because these firms were always like, well, you didn't work at any of the top five PR firms, so you can mm-hmm. take another internship. And it's like, I've done more work than your interns do. Some of your interns get coffee and manage the media list. I actually pitched and got press. So mm-hmm. I can do this job. But it was it was all optics, right? Right. It's even now, you know, people will hire you on the spot, I feel like, if you have a Google or an Amazon or some of those bigger names. Mm-hmm. Because it's like optics. Oh, we know you know what you're doing. Somebody some- of that caliber wanted you, so we we could want you too. Right. Yeah. That's the game. Yeah, Yeah, it's the game. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So I'm doing email marketing. Essence has kept me on as a writer. Mm -hmm. And now I've decided I want to create Lemons to Lemonade. Are you looking to expand your team? Well, look no further than Indeed. Indeed Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering SPQ listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com SPQ. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com SPQ. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th, 2020. If you follow me on Instagram, then you know that I have dedicated consumption days. I'm all about stacking my intel in the summer so that I can be better equipped to kill it in the fall. One of the ways that I do my thing is by listening to some of the hottest audiobooks with Audible. Audible is the perfect summer sidekick where you can listen to audiobooks from recent SPQ guests like Elaine Welteroth in her new New York Times bestselling book, More Than Enough. I have a little scoop for you that I know you didn't know. For a limited time, Amazon Prime members can start an Audible membership and save a total of $30 on your first three months. It's like getting three months for the price of one. You'll pay just $4.95 per month, $4.95 per month for the first three months. After that, 
It's only $14.95 per month. Now pay attention because this offer is only valid through July 31st, 2019. So act quick. Visit audible.com slash SPQ or text SPQ to 500-500 to get started today. Ah, and where did that, where did that sort of inspiration come from? Do you remember like when you had this idea or was it something you had been sitting on? Let us in on kind of like the makings of the lemon A. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was an idea that I was sitting on um, because you know, the brunch series were happening. Right, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone loved brunch. People were starting to like do the brunch series. And I was kind of interested in doing that too. Mm-hmm. At that point, I really loved event planning, event production. And at that point in my career, I really wasn't able to dive into that either. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great to like put on a brunch for women of color? Um, and really talk about some of the career lemons. Mm-hmm. But I was so nervous because I know that it's costly to to produce these things. Right. And I didn't think people knew who I was. And um, I, wa- I didn't want to go in a hole because I just couldn't risk the money. Yeah. And so I thought maybe I need to spend a little bit more time building myself up in my expertise and my credibility and my authority mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. And so... I started, um, I created BrittanyOliver.com and I started blogging. Um, I, I started to write for some other outlets beyond Essence. So Levo.com, mm-hmm. which is no longer. I know. They just I know. It's so crazy. Yeah. It was yeah. out of the blue too. No yeah. way. <laughs> I know another um, young lady, she had done a feature on me for Levo and I met up with her the last time I was in New York and we were just talking about how they, it just disappeared. And she was like, all my work was gone. And she was like, yeah, all of her articles that she had written for them and everything gone Mm -hmm. and no heads up or anything. And I was like, gosh, I, I hate to say this, but that's also a lesson in the sense that we give our work to these different outlets for publication, but you got to maintain a copy yourself because if they disappear today or tomorrow, you don't want that to be the only, you know, uh, record of your work. Right. Well, luckily I, um, I was able, I got permission to republish my articles on LinkedIn as long as I had the link. Uh-huh. And a lot of my articles republished by like Fast Company and Business Insider. So awesome. Great. They had a lot of great partnerships with other places, which, you know, helped to build my authority, my expertise, right, mm-hmm. in this space. Mm-hmm. And so my following's growing on Twitter. Um, people are signing up for the newsletter and they're wanting more. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept building. But I was still so frightened to do a brunch. Really? Um, So when you were building with the writing, your core um, topic or subject matter, you kept it to careers? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And was that that a conscious decision because you knew you wanted to build some authority within that career conversation space? Yeah. And it was just something that I liked to talk about um, Mm -hmm. because I had such a unique career journey and Levo is the place where I actually was able to share my 100 interview story 
Mm. And it went viral. Mm. It was picked up by so many, republished by so many outlets. Um, it was shared on um, LinkedIn and it went viral in there. And I just had so much feedback. Mm-hmm. And that feedback was really great. People were like, wow, one, you're brave to share this story. Right. Two, I'm going through that too, which was really sad to hear because I was hoping that things had changed, right? Mm -hmm. I was hoping that people weren't experiencing these long, daunting Mm -hmm. uh, job searches. And what was really sad was to see so many Black women experiencing them. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we the ones experiencing these long, daunting Mm -hmm. job searches? So Mm -hmm. it was just really sad to see. But it was good because now we knew that we could lean on each other. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to create that community of support. Mm-hmm. And so I was just talking to a friend and she was like, well, don't do the brunch, do the, do it like a networking mixer, a panel mm-hmm. that might be a little bit easier. And she was like, I'll help you. So I was like, yay, I have help. Yeah. And so June, 2016, literally 24 hours, I just started pitching. Cause I was, there were a couple of concerns I had. Will I have to pay for a venue because I can't afford a venue? Mm-hmm. Will speakers want money because I can't afford to pay them? And, you know, hopefully they'll just do it out of good faith. Yeah. Um, and sponsors, like I want to have food and drinks because after work, people are hungry and right. want to have some food. Right. And so within 24 hours... Um, BuzzFeed offered up their spaces for me. I was able to confirm some top tier speakers Mm. and they did it for free. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get drink sponsorships, Skinny Girl, um, Mix, um, Moscato, Mm -hmm. um, and some food. Okay, that's good. I just want to take a second to point out how you went from being the young lady who was going on all these interviews and had to take a job that wasn't necessarily your ideal choice that wouldn't allow you to go to the networking mixers to being the same young lady who is now planning her own (laughs) networking mixer. Can we clap it up for that? Yes. Uh, I love that. No, I never really like did that parallel. Man. But yeah, I couldn't go to the mixers and now I'm making one. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how did you go about starting the conversation of getting support for these events? You said BuzzFeed offered up their space. What did that look like? Did you know somebody at BuzzFeed? Did you just cold email and ask them, hey, you want to do a favor <laughs> for a non-friend? Like what, <laughs> like, what did that look like? Because I know that there are people out there trying to figure out the ins and outs of how do people do what they do? We all hear about the pretty side that I made it happen, right? But people want to know, what did it look like for you to actually make that happen? Because I might want to make something happen. Right. Mm -hmm. To be quite frank, as hard as my job search was, and I had this fear that planning these events would be, Mm -hmm. that's been the easiest part of my career journey. Wow. Is producing these lemons to lemonade. I think because so I've asked and I've been turned down so much mm-hmm. it's to the point where it's like all I could all they can do is say no yeah I'm still standing after all this time mm-hmm. so I just kind of shoot my shot <laughs> so when it comes to BuzzFeed I actually had a colleague that worked there 
Okay. So she was able to help me out. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest when people are looking for spaces, especially at these cool companies, look for someone that's in your, your inner circle or someone who's familiar with the work that you're doing to see if they can, you know, try to um, find ways to partner with you. Yeah. And the reason why I like to target companies is because I also want, I want to partner with these companies and their ERG groups and their diversity inclusion efforts, because I'm bringing to your space, a group of multicultural young professionals, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to hear them be candid about their conversations on the workplace, which can help you in some of your programming. And two, recruitment, if you're looking for more talent, here they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, y'all just have really cool spaces. Right. <laughs> so you're, so I love that your, your positioning behind all of this is twofold. It's to help the attendees, but you also position it to the companies in a way that shows them the benefit. And I think people need to pay attention to that because that's sometimes what can be missing from a pitch is that it's there's always, nothing in it for the other person. It's always, and I think that's, I, I see that where people go wrong all the time because mm-hmm. I've if you're writing me crazy I know you're writing these sponsors crazy right um as people have seen watched me build my sponsorship you know a lot of them just will write me out of blue they've never supported lemons to lemonade and they'll just say hey um I saw Jack Daniels sponsored your event can I have their email <laughs> and it's like so I know that if I was to give you Jack Daniels email, you would write them and say, hey, I have an event. Can you send me some bottles? Yeah. That's not how you pitch a sponsor. Mm -hmm. You always have to know their buy-in. What what are they going to get out of supporting you? Mm -hmm. Um, And so... When it came to to the, the venue, you know, I had a support from someone that was my really close, who's my really close friend from BuzzFeed. But then to get like the drinks and the food, um, I wrote a blog post because I love cupcakes. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a blog post about like sweet gifts that you can send people in your life for the holidays to thank them for, you know, being a mentor or a career support. Mm-hmm. And one of the bakeries I featured and they kind of like passed it around on their social media. So I reached out to them when I started um, the mixer to see if they would support. Mm. And so they were able to donate cupcakes and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the drinks, I cold emailed Skinny Girl. Wow. And they, they reached back out. And then um, someone... Someone that I knew knew that um, Mix Moscato was looking for opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so she gave me their email and I reached out mm-hmm. and they were able to turn that around within a day. Wow. Yeah. And so sometimes it's one, telling your community of support what you're looking for um, mm-hmm. and asking them to help. And then two, just betting on yourself, shooting your shot and just sending those emails. Yeah. And a lot of people ask me, well, how do you find the emails? And so I use LinkedIn. I use um, Hunter.io. And I look for brand managers, marketing managers, because they're the ones a lot of or sponsorship partnership managers. Mm -hmm. because They're the ones that deal with that. 
Right. So if you're targeting, those are the people that you want to reach out to. Woo, Brittany, giving some good information here. <laughs> That's what we like. That's what we like because the only way that we can all win is if we share so that we can all get better. Speaking of that, I've I've talked a few times about women's empowerment being a scam. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit about what your feelings are on the brunches, the events, the um, facade of community sometimes that's put out there. But then there's the people like you who are growing within your space and you're growing within people knowing your name and, and, and having this presence. Um, but you're not out there like all these other people who are doing it, who may not have, let's say the best intentions behind the scenes. What are your feelings on creating events and spaces to empower other women and the, I guess you could say trend of doing it to empower your pockets? Hmm. Ooh, there's so many layers to this. I know. <laughs> so first, I'm going to start with this. Um, as someone who doesn't have a large following, but has been able to c- grow a community and to produce events, um, there were times where I was frustrated, right? Because mm-hmm. we live in, right now, society is about social clout. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you an um, experience that I had that really just shifted me. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I was invited to the Ciroc Brunch in New Orleans. Mm, okay. And, oh, it was just so amazing, girl. Mm. Just was this like S- around Essence Festival or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, nice. Yeah, so I was invited to attend. And, you know, I met Dia Sims and some of the other senior leaders at Combs Enterprises. Mm-hmm. But the people that they invited, a lot of them, or even honored, a lot of them don't have all that following that you see on social media. They're low key, mm. and they they manage billion dollar budgets, right? <laughs> and so, during the same time, there was so many other brunches happening at Essence Fest. So they had the Walker's Legacy. Google had something. Uh, Insecure had a brunch and so did um, Power. Mm. And so I remember in the first maybe 30 minutes, I'm scrolling through my Instagram and I'm, I kind of got salty for a minute that I wasn't invited to the Insecure brunch or the Power brunch. I'm like, mm. man, I wish I could like kiki it up with <laughs> have my little picture on the gram, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I said, wait a minute, what am I doing? Mm. God has just opened a door for me. I'm in this room with women who manage million dollar budgets, billion dollar budgets. Mm. They can help me with lemons to lemonade. Mm-hmm. Me being at the insecure brunch or the power brunch, no one's going to help me with lemons to lemonade. Hmm. The most I'll leave is with the picture to mm-hmm. say I was there. Mm-hmm. But these, this is the room I'm supposed to be in, and I need to put my phone down and be in it and meet the right people. Mm. Yes, girl. I say that to say that as someone who's building these things, it can be frustrating to see that you're, you have really good intent behind what you're doing, Mm -hmm. but sometimes people won't invest in you. They won't attend. 
they'll overlook what you're doing because they'd rather be in the room with the, the cool girls, the cool kid crowd, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes those those girls don't have the right intent. Mm-hmm. They're not helping you with your career. They're not going to mentor you. They're not going to position you for you to win. All you're going to get is a picture. Mm-hmm. And that's if they even repost it and say, thanks for coming, you know? <laughs> and so when it comes to all of these different brunches and people really being upset by their experiences, I think it's because so many attendees are going to these events for the wrong reasons. You One, you have to know your intentions. Are you going to the brunch because so-and-so is there? Or are you going because you want to get something out of it? You want to meet the right person. You're trying to build a business, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And you can tell by someone's social media what their events are going to be about based off of the type of information they give you. Mm. So women who who have ebooks and are really teaching when they're on Insta stories, if they have a brunch or something like that, most likely you're going to leave with the tools you need, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if it's one of these girls who's just out here just showing off, um, they're really not teaching you. They're really not. I don't know. It, they'll post up an inspirational post and they're just really not teaching you the things that you need to know. Right. More than likely, you'll go there and you'll spend your $80 and you'll leave with nothing but a picture. Hmm. And I think, so one, that's the first thing. People are starting to get frustrated. They're like, I'm paying all this money. I didn't even get to sit and talk with, you know, the CEO. Mm-hmm. She was there. She was aloof. Mm-hmm. And she acted like she had she didn't have time for me. And that's what I paid for. I paid so that I could have a moment of time for this boss girl. Right. Because I want to learn from her. But mm-hmm. you can tell you can tell just by watching people online and how they move and how they interact. Yeah. What you're going to get. But, you know, I think you're saying you can tell, but I think that there's going to be somebody listening that's going to have an aha moment based off of what you said, because you can tell, but somebody Mm -hmm. else may not have that type of insight or may not have been dissecting that information in or the presentation in the same way Mm -hmm. to be able to say, okay, this is somewhere where I think my money will be well spent if I attend. Mm -hmm. And this is somewhere where I think that it would just be for show. So if I'm going to spend my money on this, I need to manage my own expectations. Before women's empowerment was even a thing, before it was a word in my mind, and I'm being so honest about this, Mm -hmm. I started my original platform because I was just noticing, number one, the lack of support that I was getting that I thought I would have when I ventured out on my own and it didn't feel good. And also I was noticing that there was this culture that was happening largely probably due to social media, not, not social media to um, uh, what are called reality shows mm-hmm. where it seemed like it was okay to tear people down and to, to like really go hard and come at somebody and just not be supportive or be mean or nasty And you don't even really know that person like Mm -hmm. that, you know, Mm -hmm. and for sure haven't taken any time to try to understand their position. And so 
for me, I wanted to create a space where you could just say, girl, you doing your thing. Like, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah. And nobody looked at you crazy because they thought you wanted something out of it. Right. You know? And so that's why I think it bothers me so much because I, somebody will probably say, you're in this women's empowerment space. But see, I don't really look at it like that. If I had to put a word to it, maybe that's what I would say. But for me, it's more about just personally how I'm wired. Right. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about the conversation, because Mm -hmm. I just feel like as a whole, people need to do better. Like the things that you're doing and the way that we were even connected. That's women's empowerment. Exactly. It's putting people in the position to win. And so Candace, she runs Epic Fab Girl. I actually spoke on her panel about collaboration over uh, competition. Mm. And, you know, she even we we even talked about it in in front of the panel. Mm -hmm. You know, when she came to Nashville, she reached out to me. And we try to, you know, we try to collaborate and put the event together. And we were honest with each other. And we were like, this might not work. We're n- we don't have the same vision. Mm. And so we, she decided to just do it on her own and just put me on the panel. Nice. But, okay. but it's, it's those things where you're clear about your vision. You're clear about your ask. Mm. And you're really trying to put people in the positions to win because I remember, and I kind of, I wrote about it a little bit on my blog and it was after seeing little mm-hmm. and how, um, Jasmine, the, the main can- character, how she was treating Issa Rae and some of these other black employees. And it made me remember some of the ways that my former black managers treated me. Mm. And, you know, some of that is, is in that empowerment space that influencer space mm-hmm. where we're we're hazing e- each other instead of uplifting and mentoring you know right, right. We're putting each other down instead of uplifting mm-hmm. think about the times you know some people were fortunate enough to have really good managers but a lot of my bad ones were were black mm. and you know they were in, instead of you just mentoring me and making me better you're sitting here. I'm thinking I'm on the yard. Right. You're, you're, <laughs> right. You know, you're like, oh, go get me this. Oh, it's not. Go get me a coffee. It's not hot enough. Go get <laughs> me another. One. Like what, girl? Like you're supposed to be teaching me how to be a boss. Yeah. Like this, this is a mess. Oh, you got to earn this. And then you're in meetings and you mess up and they just talk to you real bad. And it's like, but you don't talk to nobody else like this. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is out of line. Yeah. You and you respected me. Right. And, and see, you bring up a good point because coming from that PR world, I've experienced that too. And it wasn't necessarily from black managers. It was from just people period and actually most of them were were white people and actually I'm not going to say I experienced that I witnessed that Mm -hmm. and I think that's why another reason that I feel so passionate about people being disrespectful and mistreating other people because I don't like it Mm -hmm. I don't like the way it makes them feel and I don't like the way it makes me feel witnessing it Mm -hmm. I've watched grown men with gray hair be belittled by the department head in mm-hmm. front of the whole entire floor. Yeah. Not just the department as though we were in a closed door meeting, 
the mm-hmm. entire office floor. Yeah. Excuse me? Why are you yelling at this grown yeah. man? Yes. Why are you belittling him like this? Why is he turning red? Why yeah. is this even happening? And I remember sitting there thinking, why am I witnessing this? This is mm-hmm. not okay. And I'm the type of person, I fight back and I stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. And so this particular manager knew, I think he knew in his soul that if he ever tried me, it was going down. Because yeah. I, I knew something I also probably was unconsciously but consciously giving off said, please don't try to fuck with me because I'm mm. not the one. I am not the one, you know? And I, right. I wish more people could have that kind of backbone, but I understand that not everybody is built like that. So a part of me feels like I have to stand up for the people who are not built like that too, because that kind of behavior is unacceptable. And Mm -hmm. I especially feel like it's unacceptable when you're doing it to somebody that looks like you. We don't need that. We don't need that. Because it's hard enough just showing up in the space. Yeah. It's hard enough just being ourselves. And so to have someone else that looks like you yeah you it's horrible yeah and so and that and that goes with offline and I know in your last uh podcast episode you guys talked about the access and mm-hmm. you know and people are always like I'm protecting my space and this is why I lash out but you have to realize with online people do have access to you and sometimes they don't not everyone's going to write you the correct way like I even get it now I I told you about how people just email me Mm -hmm. out the blue asking for my contacts asking for my resources Mm -hmm. but I don't clap back at them like that right you know what I mean and there's just a way to talk to people there you go it's a way to just teach Mm -hmm. you know and Sometimes I'll write, you know, maybe it's not you asking me for my contact. Maybe you really want to know how I I went about getting the sponsorship. Right. You know? So maybe just reframe your question, you know, mm-hmm. think about it differently. And it's not that we're saying you have to sit up here and be you know, Susie sweetness and be the nicest person to every single person that you come across is just having human decency and respect for people. And yes, if somebody disrespect you, by all means, do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like, but in general, I think that there's this, this feeling that certain people might be untouchable. So you can't say certain things to them or you, you can't call out what you actually see or whatever. And I, I feel like we're all humans. So treat me with respect and I'll treat you with respect. Yeah. If you head over to switchpivotorquit.com, you will see that Pick My Brain sessions are now available with me, your chief encourager, Ayana Angel. They are one-on-one 60-minute sessions that are a hybrid of consulting and coaching. That is where you will get the best out of me. We can talk everything from digital marketing to podcast development to podcast growth, social media strategy, book publishing, marketing and promotions, DIY publicity, pitching, planning, execution, anything that you are thinking, hey, I could really use somebody to bounce these ideas off of and some expert advice in terms of what direction I should go in, 
what would potentially work, what might not work. I have an idea, but I'm not really sure about how it will pan out. Go ahead and book your 60-minute Pick My Brain session with me now. We have chopped up all this stuff. We have had such a good conversation, but I I, want to dive into, and I hope you guys will bear with us because this is some good stuff, right? (laughs) I want to dive into the now, you know, you've gone through all these transitions with trying to find your space within your industry and then pivoting your career and the, the skill sets that you are using and then creating your own space to show up and, and say, Hey, I want to provide something to a community. Now you're in a position and this is what I read that really made me say, Ooh, Brittany, we got to <laughs> talk about this. You said last year, this time, And this was in an Instagram post, so I'm clarifying everybody. So you guys can go and follow Brittany and you will find this post. She's going to tell you at the end how you can follow her. So you said, last year this time, I was laid off and angry. Like many of us, I'm at a crossroads in my career. Do I want to be an entrepreneur or do I want to work for someone else? Ooh. (laughs) Tell us, what, what were you thinking when you wrote that? Obviously, there's a lot going on in your head. And what space are you in right now? What is causing you to have these thoughts on either side? Mm. So it's been a rocky road this, this last year. So it was, it was rocky because I made some decisions for myself, mm-hmm. but I wasn't ready for some of the outcomes. Mm. So... Last year, or what is that? Two thousand? No, actually, two thousand seventeen. Um, I remember my twenty ninth birthday. I was just praying. I was in Italy, mm. and I was praying. I'm like, you know, I'm going into another year of life, but I'm not happy with where I am in my life. Wow. Um, I hate my job. I'm very tired of New York. Mm. And I just need a change. I'll stay in New York if I get a new job. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I don't, I really need to leave. Like something in my life needs to to change because everything feels the same. Mm. And I'm I'm tired and I'm sad. And I just need some things to to spice up. And so literally when I came back from my trip, my company decided to make everyone go remote. So they were closing down the office and making everyone remote. And then my supervisor was said, said, well, I'm going to move upstate. I'm leaving. Since we're going to be remote, I want to leave. I want to save money. I want a home. And we want to start a family, him mm-hmm. and his wife. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, if he leaves, I'm really not going to like a lot of these people that are left. <laughs> and I kind of want to save too. Like New York's expensive. And what would what would this look like if I moved back home? So I had a conversation with my parents and of course they were elated. They were like, yes, come back. (laughs) So um, my lease was up in February of last year. No, March 1st of last year. Mm -hmm. I moved back to Tennessee where I grew up. Mm. And so I'm working remotely, getting my New York pay Mm -hmm. and I'm home and I'm saving money. But then in May, they do a company-wide layoff. And so I'm laid off Mm. and 
it messes up my plans. And that's why I was angry. Mm. I was angry because I had planned my summer. I was like, okay, I'm going to save up my little money mm-hmm. and I'm going to move to Nashville. Um, by the end of the summer, I had literally just started looking at apartments. And then during the summer, I'll try to find a new job and I'll have my new life mm-hmm. in a new city. And that was the plan I had in my head. Right. Well, we all know, you know, we huh. don't make these plans, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. God has the master plan. So I laid off and I just panic because I don't know what I'm going to do. I hadn't had luck with finding a job in Nashville. Mm. I did not want to stay living in my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know how I was going to make money. And so... I just started panicking and I started calling all these people and having the S sending out an SOS. <laughs> oh. And uh-huh. one of my really great friends, Whitney, she was like, Brittany, first off, breathe. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll always appreciate her because she was at dinner at a client meeting and she walked away to talk to me. So mm. I appreciate her for that. Mm-hmm. She's like, breathe and enjoy the moment. And you have lemons to lemonade and and you have the time to make it into something. And I want to remind you that people always used to use that, say that to me. Well, you have lemons to lemonade. And I used to be so resentful when they said that Mm -hmm. because at the time I just didn't have a business model. Like it was, it was something that I did as a passion project Mm -hmm. and and my former job, I also wanted to try to leverage it to get another job, right? Right. Because I was utilizing skills that I wasn't able to do in this email marketing job. Mm. And I knew what type of career I wanted. And I said, well, if I do it myself, then I can leverage this to get the type of job that I want. And I've seen some of the girls in New York that do these events. Mm -hmm. One girl has this um, event series and now she's doing events at Twitter. So I thought, oh, maybe this is how I can kind of transition into the type of career that I want. But I wasn't able to get that. It was always never good enough. It's like, oh, okay. If I had interviews, people never wanted to talk about it or there was this fear that I would leave the company because I'm an entrepreneur and mm. they weren't excited about me having entrepreneur endeavors. So some places I had to play it down and other places they actually wanted to hear about it. But then I'm like, am I sounding too enthusiastic? Cause yeah. they're like, you ain't going to stay. Right. So <laughs> it kind of has been like a thorn Almost in terms of me trying to get a full-time job somewhere with benefits. Mm. So then um, I decided to take the advice of Whitney, Whitney gave me. And I'm like, you know, let me embrace this. And so I started planning mixers. I started building my following in, in Nashville. And I partnered with Bumble and did one in Nashville. I... I was already planning to go to Atlanta and have the happy hour. So I'm like, I'm just going to build this and see what happens. Right. But then I was diagnosed um, with arthritis. Really? Yeah. Over the summer. And I started to panic again because, you know, I was doing fine. I was planning my mixers. Um, My writing opportunities started to increase 
And I was getting press trips. So I got to travel and write. And so I was getting money, but not to the level where I could move. Right. Okay. And then this another element of illness Mm -hmm. came about and it's like, now I have to worry about healthcare and now these bills, they're high. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents can't keep helping me with this. Like yeah. I have to figure it out. Yeah. And so I'm 29 and I'm like, how did this happen? And so I had a breakdown right before I turned 30. And then I was fine. I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to write. So this year... I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements and finding other ways to make income. Right. And now I'm really like trying to focus on, you know, teaching. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to be honest about this because a lot of people aren't turning an event series into a business is hard because you lose yeah. a lot of money more than you make it. Yeah. You, yep. do, you have to really like rely on sponsorship. And you so, mm-hmm. and that's a hard business model. It's a hard business model. And for the Black, so since we were talking about this women empowerment space, it's hard to sell these this to companies mm-hmm. for them to give you the type of money to make it make sense. Yeah. Because when people go to empowerment um, events, they want the balloons and the photo mm-hmm. booths and just Instagrammable moments. But all those little details cost a lot of money yep. to produce. Yeah. Um, but you want them to share, you want them to promote because that that converts into metrics that you you promise, you know, your sponsors. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these girls that are producing that they either get the sponsorship that they need or they're paying for it through the ticket prices. And that's why it's so high. Mm-hmm. And I know my audience, my audience is like me. They struggle with their career. They're not really making that money. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe in something that's real basic and there's basic events. You don't even get all of that. And they don't even give you food and drink yeah. and people are charging $50 and it's yeah. like, what? Mm-hmm. you know, so <laughs> I don't believe in that either. And so I'm really trying to find the right sponsor, the right person who's just believes in this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I add that element of diversity, inclusion and recruitment and things like that. And we're talking about entrepreneurship. It's more or less in, less empowerment and more career, mm-hmm. more entrepreneurial focus um, because it helps with getting the sponsorship. But that's the level people who follow me are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out is career the thing or is an entrepreneur. And so mm-hmm. trying to find the right business model has been hard. So I've kind of shift and pivoted and I'm trying to monetize myself mm-hmm. in hopes that that will help monetize lemons to lemonade. Yeah. And so the speaking engagements have helped and ironically black women, small black women have been paying me to speak they mm, fly me out okay? and it's great I'm like awesome yeah um, more of that um and finding ways people are always asking me questions so finding ways to teach yeah. having a workshop I'm really passionate about women of color founders because a lot of us aren't getting the press t- attention that we deserve Mm-hmm. And the ones that are, it's the same ones. You know what I'm sick of? Them same <laughs> ones who always get the press, they'll go on their Insta story and say, 
you you shouldn't worry about press for your business. It really doesn't help. And I'm like, but you're not passing up the opportunity to have a, a spread in the magazine, girl. Right. Let's be real. You would say, hey, journalists, I, I've talked about this enough. Here's another dope black woman entrepreneur who should get some shine. But they're not doing that. Mm-mm. So, you know, I want to help bridge that gap. I want to help journalists find other untold stories. Mm-hmm. And I want to help founders really understand how to pitch themselves because I get them, I get the pitches in my inbox and woo, <laughs> need some help. And even these publicists, you know, yeah. a lot of black women founders you know, their publicist is a black woman founder, right? Mm-hmm. And you know why a lot of a lot of people who become founders, a lot of them don't do it because they were passionate about an idea. A lot of them do it because their nine to five didn't work out for them. Right. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm at, right? Mm-hmm. My nine to five didn't work out on me. My job quit me. And so I'm having to figure this out. Mm. Um, and so that's also why I've been at a crossroads because... I never really imagined this for myself. I, I really just wanted to ride that wave and get to the C-suite and be a CMO somewhere, mm-hmm. like at Pepsi. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Pepsi's always been like a dream job. Really? And so I'm in a space where I can, right now I can't do that. And I'm having to make money and I have to make a living. And so I'm having to bet on myself and create the life that I want. And a lot of us are in that boat. And so that's why I said that because I'm always kind of in that crossroads because mm. this is, this stuff is hard. Ooh, being an entrepreneur yes. is hard. Yeah. And even though being a career woman is hard too, and you have that nuances, at least, you know, you're getting paid when mm-hmm. you're getting paid and you got some medical girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> all the difference in the world, right? It does. It yeah. really does. When you don't have that anymore, it's a whole nother level. Yeah. And so that's where that post was coming from. Mm-hmm. But I've come to terms instead of fighting it, because I've been fighting it. And that's why I, I have those levels of resentment or when I'm just really torn up about the hand that I was dealt. Mm-hmm. I still have that. Like I literally went on a Twitter rant. <laughs> on on February fourteenth about it. Mm, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I did. I went on that rant because I actually applied for a job in my little hometown at the library, mm-hmm. a part time job. And while I was in the interview, they were like, "So why here? You should be at some big fancy place in Nashville somewhere." Mm. And I couldn't answer her question because. I agree. I should. (laughs) I don't know. And I sat there in that room and I'm like, how did I get to this position? How did I get here? And I was just so hurt by it. And I remember getting in the car and I said, they're not going to hire me. And I cried and I cried. I can't even get a little job in my hometown. That's real basic. And I've Mm -hmm. done all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And here I am. But I have to realize the reason why is because I'm bigger than that place. Ooh, I was going to tell you that. Yes. I I know it, girl. I know these things, but Mm -hmm. I fight it. But I'm bigger than the place. I'm bigger than that space. And I have something else that I'm supposed to do. And I really do think it's, 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 well, I know it's Limits to Lemonade because 
when when I had my nine to five and I was working on Lemons to Lemonade Girl, mm-hmm. it filled my soul up so much knowing that I was helping so many people. Mm. The mixers, I've been able to give people jobs. So even though I couldn't pay my speakers, my speakers have now go, gone on to speak at big stages. Like yeah. um, one of my friends attended my first event and she works at the National Urban League. Mm-hmm. One of my speakers ended up getting an opportunity to speak on that stage and get paid because she heard him speak. Mm. You know, it's amazing that BYOB live. Mm-hmm. There were like five black men that spoke at my events in the past that all were able to speak on those stages mm. this last weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You know, um, Mark Clennon, he's a photographer. He attended my first event. He's been such a supporter. He got his first, one of his first photography gigs by attending my event. Mm. Um, I didn't hire him, but one of my friends attended and he was talking to her and she's like, can you shoot my mixer? And he did. And now homeboy's doing campaigns for champion for Netflix. He just got the cover of ad week. And those are the stories that I like to tell. Because of this space, people were able to feel safe. People created an ecosystem, a collaboration mm-hmm. where they're pulling from each other. They're helping each other elevate one another. It's yeah. all about the, instead of the mean girls, we need to be creating these ecosystems to help people. Whew. And that's what L2L is about. Mm-hmm. Just like with Candace, with Epic Fab Girl, mm-hmm. we were online friends for the longest time. Met her in Chicago when I went and did an event there. Mm-hmm. And when she had an opportunity to come to Nashville and to to host her event, she brought me in the fold. Mm-hmm. That's the ecosystem. That's how it works. Yep. And there's just so many other stories I can share. But that's the type of spaces that attendees should be paying to attend. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are the type of rooms that you want to be in because yeah. you leave with opportunity. Yep. People have gotten jobs. Yeah. And that I think that out of everything that you said, that lets me know that although things are still developing, you're on the right path because this is heart centered for you, you know, and that that's not going to steer you wrong. You're following what you need to follow because it's something that's needed within the space and you have a unique position and skill set to be able to do it. And so that's what's going to continue Thank to happen. You. Yeah. And and as I was building, I remember other people were building and being like, man, I don't know if L2L will still survive because everyone's going to the cool kid crowd events. Mm. And it was always, I've always been reminded that you, one, what's for me is for me. Mm-hmm. Something that I have that no one can copy or recreate. Yep. I don't need to be jealous or fearful. Yep. You know, I can teach people how to get sponsorship and what they get is for them. Mm-hmm. And what I get is for me. I don't need to be holding back. I remember being so protective of a lot of the things that I knew um, because I was scared. Mm. Because a lot of people, when they approach you, they do have bad intentions, right? Right, right. right. supportive. Um, but I always have to remember what's for me is for me. And this stuff takes time. Yeah. You have to build people who are just trying to build 
and they've been building for a long time. I just want to remind you that people are watching you. People see you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just timing and the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, some a lot of this has nothing to do with the amount of followers followers you have. Mm-hmm. A lot of it just is timing. And so just keep building, keep fighting, keep pushing, you know, know your worth. We talk about that today mm-hmm. um, and what you value mm-hmm. and keep pushing. Like, for example, the reason why I learned that I was playing it small with Lemons to Lemonade mm-hmm. from sponsors. Jack Daniels, I had a call with them and they're like, you're playing it small. They told you that. Yeah, he told me that. And I said, whoa. And ever since then, I, I, I have the vision and I, and I ask for what I want. Have I gotten everything that I want? No, but I'm going to keep pushing forward uh, randomly. Literally on my birthday, I got an email from Google Mm -hmm. and they found me just randomly. Mm. And they were like, can we have a conversation about sponsoring mm. with you? And it's like, wow, people see me. Yeah, I went and I text some of my friends that worked at Google and I'm like, did you put in a good word? And they're like, no, girl, but congrats. Exactly. Wow. Like people see me yeah. and it really put that fire in me to keep going. Like mm. this is something. And so it all it only takes that one yes, mm-hmm. and people just keep fighting the good fight. Yeah. What does success mean or look like for you? Man, success to me, success to me is knowing that I'm still standing, mm-hmm. um, despite all the obstacles and adversity. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Nobody stopped my shine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm enough. What I'm doing's enough. And, and it's really simple and basic, but I'm standing yeah. because a lot of people wouldn't. A lot of people would give up. Mm-hmm. The success to me is keep fighting and keep standing and standing strong in what you believe in and knowing that it will work out. Mm. So I remember there were times where I kind of want to throw in the towel for a lot of things, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad I never gave up on myself and I continue to bet on myself. You know, even though I was laid off, I betted on myself while I was working at those companies because I knew that you could, these companies, they'll let you go in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I learned a valuable lesson that my life can't be about work Mm -hmm. or my career. I had to create an identity for myself outside of that, Mm -hmm. my brand. And because of betting on myself, when they did lay me off, I was able to still stand. I was still able to make money. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop me. Right. And I'm still moving and I'm still building and I'm still making money the ways that I know how. Yeah. Mm. So awesome. Brittany, this has been such a good conversation. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was just long overdue too. So that's why we just I think so. Uh, you know, <laughs> just had a good old chat. Um, before we go, let everybody know how they can find you, how they can keep up with you, how they can learn more about you, engage with you, and all that good stuff. Yes. So please visit BrittanyOliver.com, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y-O-L-I-V-E-R.com to sign up for the mailing list so you can stay tuned um, for upcoming mixers. 
my goal is to go on tour again. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to come back to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Well, actually produce my first one out there and some Yay. other pieces. Okay. So definitely sign up so you can be in the loop. Also follow me on Instagram. Uh, BS Oliver is my personal account. And Lemons to Lemonade is Lemons underscore numerical two underscore lemonade. Just to keep in touch with us. And then I love to tweet and it's just my personal account. And you can always find me on there saying something silly. <laughs> so um, you can follow me on Twitter at Brit, B-R-I-T-T underscore S underscore O. Awesome. Brittany, this was so good. Thank you so much for joining us and being so candid and sharing your story with us. We absolutely appreciate you. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's all about keeping it real. People don't keep it real out in these streets. Woo, yeah, you can say that again a hundred times. <laughs> but that's what we do over here. So we appreciate you joining us in this space and keeping it absolutely real with us. And as always, you guys, be good. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley. Women and entrepreneurs of color traditionally have a hard time accessing capital to start or grow their businesses. Join Vice Chairman Carla Harris as she introduces us to the dynamic investors, entrepreneurs, policymakers, and others working to close the funding gap for these entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.